0: We have Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through some odd that Larry and Jorgen are going to be reading. We have three weeks left, and then we're going to go into the Psalms uh, after this series. So, we're nearing the end of Galatians. Thank the Lord for that. So, Larry, Jorgen, and then Anthony's going to teach. Freedom is the title.
1: Freedom! Anyways. Good morning. Uh, We're going to read the Word of God.
2: For you will call to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve love, serve one another.
1: For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself.
2: But if you bite and throw out one another, watch out that you
1: are not consumed by another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh.
2: For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those who oppose to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do.
1: But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the
2: flesh are sexual Sexuality, impurity,
1: sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions,
2: envy, drunkenness, or grief, and things like that, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God.
1: But the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness,
2: gentleness. Without control against such things there
1: is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires
2: if we live by the spirit let us also
1: keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another Lord, I ask that you help us be attentive to your word today that comes uh, by Anthony. Help us develop to develop those habits uh, where we are able to walk by your spirit and fulfill your law of love. We ask in Christ's name, Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, guys. Before we begin, I'd like to um, maybe bring up. Um, a matter for church discipline. Thought I'd just pose a question: um, How many of you think we should vote on whether or not John should continue growing whatever's growing on his upper lip there? Yeah, yeah. We could. Yeah, you, one vote. What's, what's your vote? It can stay for now. Well, I'm. I'm interested in what everybody else thinks. <laughs> Just, oh, Jane just said, all we need is a washcloth. Oh, <laughs> oof. brutal, brutal. Hey, you still have your boyish boyish looks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, I feel good now. I feel better. Getting that off my chest. Um, so I told y'all that we would continue the conversation from last week, and so therefore we attached uh, some of the scripture that we uh, read last week onto the reading for, th- for today, uh, verses 13 through 15, because really conversation still is around uh, freedom. And so I'd like to begin by asking all of us a question and perhaps putting that in our, in our head as we navigate the text today. Does liberty, does freedom, mean the absence of law? Does, does liberty mean the absence of law? Well, British philosopher Thomas Hobbes, in a book called Leviathan, once ex, uh, explained liberty as the absence of external impediments, okay? He explained liberty as the absence of external impediments, meaning One is only actually free when no external barrier is present to obstruct the individual from doing what they desire to do. I think it's easy to see that this ideology, when it's carried out unfettered, uh, clearly leads to chaos. Uh, In recent history, we've watched its functional flaws as some U.S. citizens supported the defund the police movement. The result where this idea was embraced was chaos. And so, uh, if liberty isn't the absence of law, what is it? If it's not the absence of law, what what is it? Well, in our text today, the Apostle Paul gives perspective on the subject of Christian liberty. In fact, he's going to help us uh, with a handful of things around the subject, namely, What is Christian liberty, why it's difficult to maintain, and how do we get it, and how do we live into it, okay? So what is Christian liberty, why is it difficult to maintain, how do we get it, and how do we live into it? Again, Paul begins there in verse 13 by saying, for you were called to freedom, brothers, and we could say sisters too. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul begins by implicitly stating that what liberty is not. You see, liberty is not a license. I love the way N.T. Wright explains it. He says, the freedom of the Messiah's people cannot be used as opportunity or affirmation a base of operations for the flesh. In other words, we don't have a license to to set up shop to do whatever the heck we want. Christian liberty is not doing whatever you desire to do. And additionally, what Paul tells us, it's not an absence of the law. It's actually an amplification of the law, which is why Paul in verse 14 says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself in the letter to the galatians paul has fought to great lengths to keep the external requirements of jewish rites and rituals being required of gentile believers for their salvation and their incorporation into the people of god but at this point if you're paying very close attention to the text, it can almost seem like Paul is saying the opposite now. Let me uh, tag in our friend Tim Keller, and hopefully he can help us with some context and clarity. He says, in verse 3, Paul implicitly says that Christians are freed from obligation to obey the whole law. Then in verse 13, he tells us to serve one another in love, and in verse 14, he says that the summary of the law is to love one another. So Paul says bluntly that the Galatian Christians must obey the law. How do we understand this? Are we obliged or are we, or are we not obliged? Essentially, the answer is, and I love this, yes. In one way, we are obliged to keep the law, but in another way, we are not. If we look at verse 3, Paul immediately follows, you are required to obey the whole law with, you are trying to be justified by law. The obligation that is gone for the Christians is the obligation to obey the law to be saved, which is impossible to achieve. But now that we are saved wholly and freely by grace, we are, if anything, more obligated to the law. Why? Because we have more reason to love God than we ever did before. Love arises from gospel, faith, and hope and overflows into loving and serving our neighbors rather than using them to serve ourselves. And loving our neighbor is the entire law summed up in a single word. Therefore, as the great reformer Martin Luther put it, a Christian man or woman is the most free lord of all and subject to none a christian man or woman is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone i'm just this is a little sidebar but as i was studying galatians i was just thinking i'm so glad to be finished with this book because it really messes with my brain i'm a simple man and this book is far from simple but it's so important to understand the complexity as simply as we can so we can understand what God's heart truly is, right? Christian liberty, what I love here, Christian liberty is not the absence of external impediments, but the perfect presence of them. I'll say that again. Christian liberty is not the absence of external impediments. It's the perfect presence of them. Meaning, as we consider how we are going to live in the world Good Friday and Easter are ever going to be before us. Christian liberty, what it truly is, is a life lived beholden to the sacrificial love of God. It's to consider the cross, it's to consider the resurrection, and say, this is staggering. Now I'm beholden to it. Now I'm stopped in my tracks, and I have to consider how I'm going to move forward in the rest of my life. How that is going to impact how I interact with humans around me. Liberty is a life of loving God and loving people the way we love ourselves. We want people to be patient with us when we don't get it immediately. To talk to us in a reasonable tone and not at us in an abrasive one. We want peace, not conflict. What the gospel invites us into is being those kinds of humans. Humans the way God has always intended us to be. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And so thus far we see that Christian liberty truly is a beautiful life. It's the most beautiful life. So why is it so difficult to maintain this life of liberty? Well... Because there's a struggle bus embedded in each one of our hearts. Or at least that's, what, that's the way I interpret what Paul <laughs> says. In verse 16 and 17, he says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's right there. The bottom line of what the apostle is telling us is that there's a part of us, the spirit, that desires God. And then there's a part of us, the flesh, that desires sin. And these two parts are literally at war within us. James, in chapter 4 of his epistle, asks, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's rhetorical. Not to say that there's not other wars, but the primary war being waged in the world is the one in ourselves. Paul in Romans 7, being extremely transparent, says this, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. There's a reason why we're teaching the Psalms next. Uh, Paul is uh, Puzzling in the way he uses language sometimes, but it's so good and so precise and so helpful. But what we understand about this war that is going on within is that the struggle is very real. The struggle, bus internally, is very real. And if we if we just had a little powwow and we separated into little groups, we could all, you know, really lick wounds our wounds about how difficult the struggle truly is. But the struggle is real. And like it or not, until we reach final glory, this will be something that's going on. This war will be being waged within. We'll always be wrestling with our flesh. So if if this is an ongoing battle, perhaps the wisdom is not in solving the spirit-flesh battle, but in learning how to survey the war within. Therefore... Perhaps a question really to ask as we understand what Paul is after here is whose desires are winning the skirmishes that break out between the spirit and flesh in my and our lives? Day in, day out, battle after battle, when we see the skirmish unfolding within, who's winning? Who's coming out victorious in that? The question to ask is, as I do life and interact with humanity, people in close proximity, those I barely know, and especially when I am alone, what attitudes and actions are being produced from my life? If the flesh is winning, Paul says there will be a a variety of issues that arise, and he gives a list. He said there will be different kinds of sexual brokenness, an inadequate substitute for God, which is idolatry, or the counterfeit work of the spirit, which is commonly known as sorcery. Keller dives into the list, first noting destructive attitudes, such as selfish ambition, namely competitiveness, a self-seeking motive, envy, coveting desires that others have, jealousy, the zeal and energy that comes from a hungry ego, and hatred meaning hostility, and adversarial attitude. Additionally, he touches on the results of these attitudes in relationships. Discord, being argumentative or seeking to pick fights. Fits of rage, outbursts of anger, dissensions, divisions between people, which is what rage leads to, and factions, permanent parties and warring groups. Which is specifically why Paul warns them in verse 15 that they are, to beco- they are close to becoming a community of cannibals. What does he say there at the end of verse 15? He says, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. They weren't literally eating each other, but they were spiritually tearing each other apart. It's so sad. And then, you know, if this isn't terrifying... Most terrifying warning comes at the middle of verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. However, and this is a big however, because it's the other side of the conversation. If in the skirmish, the desire for the spirit is being met, our attitudes and our actions will tell a different story. The spirit at work in our lives produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the way God wants us to live, move, and breathe and operate in the world. And here's, this is God's heart for us. This is how, 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 what is the will of God for my life? It's this. In every instance, all our attitudes, all of our actions being centered around how God would have us respond in grace to the world. That perhaps people might know his peace in the world. And here's the, I think the really important thing worth considering. According to the text, when the spirit is winning the war, the fruit arrives all at once when the spirit is winning the war all this fruit arrives all at once. Have you noticed this is a really famous passage and have you noticed that the fruit is singular works of the flesh are pluralized but the fruit here is singular meaning in those moments where your allegiance is being tested you either have all of it or you have none of it. I, you can ask Mike, because Mike was, Mike wanted to hang with me uh, yesterday, and I told him I can't, because I'm still struggling with this stinking text. Um, Yeah, I'm still struggling with it, and particularly in this area, because you can't actually quantify, in human words, the perfect way the spirit lives, moves, and breathes out of The body of Christ. You can't quantify it. I just know the results. And and trust me, I tried, and I read a lot of people who have given great attempts, but it's it always leaves me asking questions and and there's holes. And so rather than do that, I was rather than leave like give you some words and 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 probably bigger holes than answered questions. I thought you'd approach this, it'd be good to approach this thought with just a a thought, which is how, if that's true, if, if all of this arrives at once, this fruit arrives all at once, think about it. How can you have any of these spiritual virtues without all the rest of them? How can you have one of them without having all of them? I believe to have, because it's singular, to have one, you must have all. And I'll, and I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there for you guys to talk about in your gospel communities, to gather around coffee. I'd love to talk to you more about it, because um, it's certainly not my only thought on it. But rather than, you know, creating confusion, I just thought it best to leave a thought-provoking question. Around it. And so, thus far, we have a working definition, and we understand that there's really a struggle, that this this war is happening within. So how do we get liberty, and how do we live into it? How do we get it, and how do we live into it? Well, with salvation, here's the good news, guys. With salvation comes the seal of the Holy Spirit. According to Ephesians chapter one verse thirteen, when we call on Christ as Savior, He seals us with His Holy Spirit. You ever seen one of those ancient medieval movies where they're, uh, you know, writing a letter and they're they're putting a wax seal on the letter and sending it off? It means it represents that individual. If you have been purchased by the blood of jesus christ you have in fact been sealed by the holy spirit and that is outside of who you are and what you do and that's why we have to hold on to the message of galatians because galatians is telling us that we are our entire rescue comes completely from christ and the good news is it comes with gifts And the greatest gift man or woman will ever obtain in this world is that seal of the Holy Spirit. Because it means that God has taken up possession of us and, 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 and the Spirit has, in fact, set up shop in our lives. Like I said, whether you feel it or not, if you have called on Christ to be your redemption, then he lives in your heart. He is there. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead now resides in you. That's quite a conversation. You have help from the helper. If you are a Christian, you have liberty and you have been set free. That's what the message of Galatians is. But how do we live into this? Well, we live into this by taking the words of Paul in verse 24 really seriously. Because he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with with its passions and desire. Crucify the flesh. It means you can't only survey the war, you can't only survey the skirmishes that are going on, but you also must engage in the conflict. And the way we do that is we sincerely consider why we act the way we do. We actually honestly consider our attitudes and our actions and we let them lead us to the truth behind them. So it takes courage and bravery and honesty. In terms of our attitudes and actions, why do I do what I do? Why do you do what you do? end of the day what is the truest controlling power over my life what actually controls you what actually has the power over you if you don't know the answer to this guess who does one of your best friends your spouse my my wife can tell me the truth Um, but i tell you what if you don't know And this is very common to have blind spots in our lives. It's it's difficult to see uh, sometimes where the flesh perhaps has uh, uh, advantage. The best thing to do is to ask someone who really, really loves you. Because someone who really, really loves you, they're going to be like a Christian and they're going to tell you the truth and they're going to do it with so much love and gentleness, and kindness, and patience, and love, and joy, it the fruit will come falling all over you. And you might initially say, that doesn't feel good, until you realize what God is actually doing in your heart, in your life. So to, so to really understand attitudes and actions, you have to you have to take that treacherous trail and you have to ask, you have to ask the, the ultimate question, why do I do what I do? What are the, what's, what are the powers? What's the truest power over my life? What, what really is the engine behind all this? Finally, and here's the, here's the best part of this passage, at least in my opinion, as we wrap up this big idea, is that you must engage from this this place, uh, this battle, from a place of belonging. You have to engage this, in this battle from a place of belonging. I'll repeat the, the whole line from Paul. He says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh. You see, being accountable from a place of belonging changes everything. Doesn't it or does it not? Right? You probably have a. I'm sure there's a, many of you have a childhood like mine. When my dad held me accountable, it was it was uh, gnarly. <laughs> it was you little beep beep beep, and uh, and if you don't do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna whoop your tail. And it was just always like, oh my gosh, and I mean. I love my dad. Just so you know, there's not any weird trauma. Like I love my dad, and I know a therapist would try to convince me that I hate my dad, but I actually love him, even though he like planted a lot of problems in my life. Uh, I love him. But I remember coming home all the time, and I'd have to get him a beer, open it up, crack it open, bring it to him, and then and then I and then I'd have to report what I did wrong, because usually I was doing, you know, I'm I'm no angel. Uh, doing a lot of a lot of terrible things. Uh, it, see, John, John, my buddy, he knows that. He's like, he, yeah, he could tell you some stories. Um, I'm no angel, but I would have to report to my dad, and then he would uh, he'd give him his beer, and then he'd he'd said, now I had to go to do the walk of shame back to the kitchen and get the razor strop. It's because my dad was a barber, he used to you know sharp up his his uh, razor on that strop, and um, I'd have to go pick that up off the telephone cord. Some of you remember those telephone cords? Um, and then I'd go back to my dad, and, and then I would have to bend over and take however many lashings he was going to dole out. And I tell you what, it did help. It just continued to reaffirm my rebel nature. I said, I, I said, I can't wait. One day, these aren't going to hurt. One day, I'm just going to laugh. And that's what happened. But I tell you what, I've also in my life, especially as a child, I've been held accountable through kindness, gentleness, and clear communication. I remember working with old timers who would, instead of yell at me while I was searching for tools and doing work, they would not only tell me where the tools are, but they would also explain to me what the tools were. And even though I fell out of my depth, and even though I made huge mistakes at times, these old timers, with their patience, love, kindness, and care, would actually bring me in accountability. Like tell me when I when I when I messed something up. Tell me when I when I when I when I created a new problem for the crew. Um, they'd tell me with, with a lot of a lot of care, a lot of patience. They'd get me to a place. Um, Without accountability. And so, listen, if we're really honest about the struggle that's going on in our hearts between the spirit and the flesh, if we understand that war and we see areas where the kingdom is not fully established and reigning in our lives, here's the good news. You get to bring that to God from a place of belonging. You get to tell him I'm sorry. I am f- fully repentant in this process. And, and not only do I get to repent, I get to rejoice because God. I'm not going to come to God with something and shock him to such a degree that he says, you know what? That, this thing you're repenting over has, is where I draw the line. I'm, I'm done with you. A lot of people feel that way about God. But guess what? His grace never runs out. And so if those who belong to Christ, then we are going to always be in a process of crucifying our flesh. And that changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. Then we get to go to God knowing that he loves us. Then we get to go to God knowing that we don't have to bring anything to the table, but he does want all of us. You see, many people read the book of Galatians they read the epistles and they say they approach they approach passages like these and they say if i do xyz then i'll belong but the gospel says you belong you're free you're liberated now live into that liberation live into that freedom and love the way god always intended you to love jesus through the spirit procures and empowers all these virtues that we see on the pages of Scripture. So remember, Christian liberty is not the absence of external impediments, but the perfect presence of them. What Paul is essentially saying in, in this fifth chapter is, a true life of liberty is to be led by the Spirit, to be stopped, staggered, and compelled by the perfect work of God in Christ Jesus, and the law is, in fact, fulfilled by this perfect love from God. And it is also proclaimed by those who practice it. And so, maybe take these words and these thoughts and put them into deeper practice. May you spend this week asking deep, difficult questions from people that you can actually trust. <laughs> people who love you. And do it from a place of belonging. Do it from a place of belonging, deep belonging to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the way you have have come into this world in humility. The way you have demonstrated your power in sacrifice. And how you have really shown your glory in in the resurrection. May we be beholden to your beauty. May you draw deeper into um, your love. And as we continue to grow, and as we continue to see the skirmishes that go on in our hearts between the spirit and the flesh, may we have grace over that and courage to keep trusting you in the process. Holy Spirit, please help us. And God, we know. That when we when we ask you help, even when we don't know the words, Holy Spirit, you 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 give the words. So God help us with your grace. And uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.